Merry Christmas, Trippers! I'm Alex Zane, film journalist, movie fan, and your host for this very special episode of A Trip to the Movies. I'm currently in our Christmas podcast studio, a mile beneath the streets of London, and in a moment, my guest this week, the wonderful Rahul Kohli, will be joining me for a deep dive into the fall of the House of Usher, as well as taking us on our first ever Trip to the Movies holiday special. Thanks for downloading the podcast. This episode is brought to you by Odeon. Tis the season for giving. And if you really want to treat a loved one this Christmas, there is no better gift than that cinema feeling. Sinking into comfy seats, absorbing spectacular surround sound whilst being immersed in cinematic wonder. It's a feeling like no other. And you can gift that cinema feeling to a lucky loved one with an Odeon gift card. Pick one up at your local Odeon or online and cover someone's snacks, drinks, cinema tickets, or all three. And best of all, no wrapping up. Odeon say we make movies better, so why not make a fellow film lover's Christmas better too? Tis the season after all. Also, if you'd like to watch today's interview in glorious Technicolor, head over to our YouTube channel and please, while you're there, hit subscribe and help us grow the pod. For all the latest updates and to get in touch with us, you'll find us at Trip to Movies Pod. That is at Trip to Movies Pod on all social media. Right then, let's begin. Hello and welcome to this trip to the movies holiday special where this week the legend Rahul Kohli returns to the show to talk about his third major collaboration with horror maestro Mike Flanagan on the unbelievably good Fall of the House of Usher before he takes us on his perfect festive trip to the movies, picking his favourite Christmas films and talking about some of his best and worst cinema experiences from the holiday season. So grab a mince pie, pour yourself some eggnog or literally anything else and join us as we head to our winter wonderland of cinema to enjoy our inaugural trip to the movies holiday special. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Mr. Rahul Kohli, as I live and breathe, how are you, man? I'm good, man. Good to see you again. Hey, it's really good to see really good to see you. Um, hey, a belated happy birthday as well for the other week. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'm still too young to play the sheriff. I'm still, I'm, I'm still catching up to that age. I still don't feel old enough to have a teenage son in, in TV and film, but I'm getting there. I mean, that was the last time we spoke, wasn't it? Midnight Mass, that, that glorious thing. And and now here we are. So it's number three. Number three, so Bly Manor, yeah. Midnight Mass, now Fall yeah. of the House of Usher, your third major project uh, with the, the genius that is Mike Flanagan. Evidence suggests at this stage that you two enjoy working together. You know what? I'm still so insecure that I go, does he still like me? Does he like me? I don't. But as all actors are insecure, I guess. But yeah, no. It, it uh, yeah, it's been a it's been an amazing relationship. I'm so lucky. I, it's, it, I've gone down a trip. I'm in Emory Lane actually because my mum's in town, and um, I had an audition to do, and she had to put me on tape. Um, and I've been putting it off and putting it off and like begging for extensions and can I do that? And she and the only time this has happened was Blind Manor, which I nearly did an audition for because I couldn't get myself tape done. And I was just going to pass just out of like, I can't do it. I'm home in London. No one can read with me. No one can do this. 
and it ended up being my mum. So she's only ever put me on tape twice, and 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 it and basically it was the Flanagan one. So when we booked that job, um, like my agent called my mum, they'd never spoken before. And she was just like, "Holy crap! Congratulations! You just got in this 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 haunting job, which has led to like five different roles now." So I have this agreement with my mum, which is every time Flanagan reactivates me, I get her a little gift. Um, and it always happens to be from Louis Vuitton. Um, so yeah, so if we if, if Flanagan calls me up again next year and he's like, hey, I got this, let's do it. It's off to the Louis Vuitton shop. That's lovely. Yeah. So so your mum put you on tape for Blind Manor, which like you say, that was the last one you had to audition for, for Mike Flanagan. Yeah, yeah. We did two scenes together. She did the Danny scene in the car with me when he first picks her up and drives her through. And the other one was she played all the roles in the, like, batter scene when there's, like, cake batter. Yes, yep. Yeah. But what I didn't know is, because it wasn't, like, revealed, I didn't know that, like, a big portion of Owen's storyline was to do with his mother. So it's just pure fluke I happened to record with mine. And at the same time, I put up bloopers off the tape of me and my mum arguing because... She would do these things like, um, if I got the line right, she'd put a thumbs up behind the camera like this, right, and throw my eye line off, and and so it just like this was like it took four hours in these really two small scenes, and I put an edit up of just the amount of times we were having this back and forth of me going, "Stop doing that! What are you doing? Why are you flapping your hands around?" And apparently Paramount and and Netflix had seen that, and it might have helped actually. So, but. Oh, that's great! Hey, it was a that's a funny choice of words when you when you said uh, if Mike Flanagan reactivates me again, it's like you're in some sort of stasis, just sort of like <laughs> there, and then it's like something happens, the call comes in, and bang, you're back. It does feel like that. It does feel like the board identity. It's I think he's got like you know, I, I, he he loves to use if you, it's 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 a two type thing, right? Like. I think so. Mike Flanagan has this aversion to assholes, um, so he ne- he won't work with the same person twice if if the relationship doesn't work. I think that's probably the most important thing outside of performance. Um, but he has like Henry Thomas, for instance, is like his ultimate one of his ultimate assassins, and Carla Cugino and Kate Siegel and Sam Sloyd. So I always feel like they're like Clive Owen, and everyone gets the buzz on the phone and they're on a set somewhere or they're somewhere else. And then we all, we all head off and start working on a character. This relationship that you have with Mike. So just to, just to catch up to now. So Bly was the last time you had to audition for him. So then Sheriff Hassan, you didn't have to audition for Midnight Mass and Napoleon Leo Usher in House of Usher didn't have to audition for that. So at what point does, did Mike actually start talking to you about this role? When, when did that happen? So the next role is always discussed uh, on the, while you're doing the previous role. So Bly, I think I told you, he told me about Hassan. He started looking at me sideways and sort of like glancing and thinking I could see him, his brain kind of like working on the pilot within like the first couple of scenes we were doing together on Bly Manor. Then he, within a month or two, we spoke about Hassan. During Midnight Mass, he... I think we were having like dinner at his or something. And he goes, yep, I think my next project's going to be an Edgar Allan Poe thing. So this was 2020. Um, and he had said that like he was going to do another family-based one, just like, you know, Hill House and Blind Manor and family. But this one would be adopted siblings, um, 
which means he can he's not committed also to just like one family being one particular race. He could have like half brothers and half sisters so we could all play this one giant family um and that we would all fold into these into this one large narrative but we would also represent an Edgar Allan Poe story so he had told me about that like yeah I want to say October November of of 2020 um and I think where this one's different for me with Mike is this is the first one written for me obviously Bly wasn't I just auditioned Midnight Mass was already good to go. I just stepped into the role. Usher, Leo Usher is my first, like, Mike wrote this for me with me in mind, uh, as he did with, I think, almost all the characters. Um, and bar scheduling, pretty much everyone he wanted from then uh, uh, was in this one. And in terms of creating Leo Usher, by the way, I should say, a huge, huge fan of the series. If anyone hasn't seen it, it's available on Netflix right now, uh, although I imagine a lot of people have seen it because it's been a huge success. It's fantastic. Um, and you're fantastic in it. So tell me about oh, creating Leo Usher. Because Mike, Mike, uh, Mike kind of, he leaves you on his own, doesn't he? He's, very, he's that trusting of your relationship and your ability to mm-hmm. build this character. It's like, Rahul, over to you. Yeah, 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 for sure. Obviously, he's he's there if there's any questions whatsoever, um, uh, and super approachable. But like, I think this one in particular was like because it was written with me in mind, and I, I, I like it's also uh, I want to say there are certain aspects of me that Mike had written into Leo. So um, he wanted of all the siblings me to be the social media the guy that they could throw in front of they said kimmel and put in front of podcasts and be the the mouthpiece of the family and and have a bit of charm so i think that was part of mike's little nod to maybe how i've interacted in the past with press and things like that and then he collects jordans and has a big you know nike jordan wall he plays video games he doesn't leave his house so there was the extremities of of me 100 percent. it was mike's kind of version of me um and uh, and then um, yeah, so like I, 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 it wasn't it wasn't the most. I know that like I had taken a big break. I think there was a big break between filming, so I had gotten so out of shape. I think the biggest thing I had to do was get back into filming shape. Not even Leo shape. I had to like, I had to do a lot of work just to look like how I did in Usher, and that wasn't even like I didn't. I, I, it wasn't a Marvel movie. It was just like, look like a doo-doo parties a lot, you know? And I was kind of looking at, funny <laughs> enough, I couldn't stop thinking about the Leo summer bod. You know, when you see pictures yeah. of Leonardo DiCaprio and, you know, between filming with squirt gun and models. <laughs> and that, so that was like, and because they're both called Leo, I always had this image of that's, that's kind of how you look when you're a party boy in your, in your, in your late thirties, early forties. But um, I think the only, there was only a few discussions we had um, I had one which I think my partner talked me out of, which I, I still go back and forth and I was like, oh, I don't know if we made the right call. I wanted to play Leo. Like, um, was I don't know what a better word for it is, but like a road man from London. I wanted to have like, yeah, brother, I wanted to be like that <laughs> and have that accent in a Netflix show, like Top Boy, uh, which is not yeah. something I would be necessarily like, stealing it's from i'm from wembley i'm from london right so it's part of that culture that we grew up in but i always saw him as like a football you know like these kids who end up with like a million million pound contract you know making i don't know 200 grand a week or whatever but they're from around the corner and then they're stuck in front of the media and they're like yeah yeah but 
So I was thinking about it and and she had definitely was like, I don't think you should do this. But it would have required me to literally change dialogue in order to make it fit that accent because it's not just an accent, it's also a, it's a heavy translate. I think that's what probably tipped it. I didn't want to have to go in there and redo it. So we kind of just went for something a little bit more me, unpolished. But it was the tattoos. I think that was the biggest conversation I had with Mike was the how he looked. Um, I I saw a model, a British model, whose name I can't remember right now, but like I saw him wearing this suit and he had the side of his head shaved and just he was just covered in all these tattoos and just screamed edgy. Um, and I sent it to Mike and I was like, I'm thinking, what do you think of this for Leo? Um, and he and he dug it, but his warning was always like, you know, this is going to be a pain in the ass for you, right? Like, if we're applying this every morning, we have to shave your body. It, like you are going to hate this after it's going to feel good for for a few days and then it's just going to be a slog and he was right uh yep. but i'm glad we did it because it that was like i the feedback i got was that look was very well received by the audience and it also looks nice in the collection photos when they keep showing the you know the flanniverse actors and you, yeah. they show all your characters now which is its own weird kind of thing you worry about when you're like okay well this one has to look completely different than the last because netflix are going to do a comparison for he's a he's a he's a really great character uh leo um oh, shit. he to me he's the only likable one of the yeah. of the siblings really i think he's the one that you sort of you relate to he's got a couple of scenes one i'm going to talk about in a moment that you sort of go oh bloody hell good on you leo and um, your episode though leo's episode is based on uh, the edgar Allan poe uh, story the black cat i just met banjo uh, your beautiful rescue dog before <laughs> we started he wan- wandered into shot um mm-hmm. Tell me, being a dog person, how was it working with that cat? Oh, I felt nothing towards the cat. I wouldn't if, if Mike had written it as you know the black dog, and we were doing a um, a bit of a change. I wouldn't have been able to get through those scenes. Now I've changed a lot since mm. having a rescue. Uh, but with the cat, no, I've, I actually didn't get on with our actual cat that we had on set. We had so there was a mixture of different cats, right? We had a we had a puppet cat, one that like I could pop its eye out. <laughs> And squeeze its face, and then it would just like explode. We had that cat. We had an animatronic. Yep. <laughs> we had, and then we had two doubles. And one cat was used for mocks, so you could like the trainer could basically get it to walk from one mark to the next, and that's all it could do. Just hit mark. Which that in itself is insane. But we then had a second cat that was good for human interaction, right? So if you hold it, cuddle it whatever it was okay with it um we had a covid case on set on my first day in the loft starting leo's block and i was considered a close contact immediately after my first evening they were like well uh Rahul's in trouble um he might show up now positive so they had to start getting me in every morning early to like do the extra tests um they then the next day I came in and I was like I saw Mike in the morning and I could see through his like N95 mask he had tears in his eyes and I was like oh no what's going on now um, but I didn't realize there were tears from laughter because the next morning the cat was taken away as a close contact it didn't test positive it was just taken away due to procedure so we lost our cat um, and the cat we lost was the one that you could hold and cuddle. The cat we had to stick with was the one that could only hit marks and hated being touched. So anytime I had to hold that cat carry, it was like I'd burnt through takes. I couldn't get my lines out. Like um, the first time I bring him in after adopting him, 
I mean, I, that's the most takes I think I did in that series. Just walking, holding this cat that was like doing everything it could to just fight me. Um, yeah. So like by the time we got to the end when I was like throwing around a puppet cat, it was kind of cathartic actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there must have been a bit of CGI in there as well. I don't know. Yeah. Actually, was the mm-hmm. uh, the bit where you're lying on the uh, the sidewalk outside and the cat, the cat just walks over your body? That's is that that's a CGI cat, right? It was, but it was also done for real, I think, which, again, there's so many. Usher is full of stories. It was the one show, I think, like everything else has been pretty smooth. I think Usher's probably been the most bumpiest production I've ever been on um, for a multitude of reasons. Um, but uh, that one was, we did, we that was downtown Vancouver, shot at night, um, just on the sidewalk, but it happened to be the coldest night in Vancouver and the only day Vancouver that year got snow. And it happened to be my lie topless on the sidewalk at three in the morning in like minus, I don't know what it was that night. It was like minus three or something like that. And um, I'm obviously topless, covered in, you know, blood and all of that stuff. Um, they were blow torching the sidewalk just to like melt it and heat it up. It was constantly... Like the, literally, the the pavement is being heated with 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 people with blow torches and stuff, um, and we were there for a really long time actually. Um, and then it was all down to the cat. Like, will this real cat hit the marks? And it did. I remember because it was jumping on me. I had to lay there still, and then he'd have this clicker, and he would set the move, and the, the cat would walk into fray, jump on my back, and walk off. I think again, this is. Uh, Mike will obviously know the real reason. I can't really remember. I don't think it did it exactly how they wanted on the day. Um, it did it, but like, I don't know, maybe it was too quick or it didn't stay on my back long enough. There was some some reason we had to go back in and do it with CGI to get like, I don't know, the perfect shot, I guess. So it was kind of in vain because um, I think I ended up doing it on green screen anyway. So that was a waste. <laughs> but that was also the day that, that was one of the days that Mark, Hamill um, had requested to to come to set and hang out in the green room just to chat with me while I was doing this scene. So the whole night we were waiting for the, I don't know, the right time to do the shot. Mark was in the green room at like 11 p.m., just wrapped up cozy, just sitting with me, telling me stories about Star Wars and Batman the Animated Show and stuff like that. So it was like one of the best days on the shoot, for but for a very different reason. I mean, I was going to mention it. Obviously, you're a huge Star Wars yeah. fan. You, you you touched on it last time we spoke. How has it been working with Mark Hamill, ticking that bucket list? Because also, wow, what a performance from him as Arthur Pym. That voice, that physicality, he's incredible. Yeah, he really, like, I mean, he's he is a like a legit, like, proper character actor. I mean, we know that anyway, right? You've only got to see, like, two of his big characters side by side like this this man has an, a lot of range but i don't know how much of it we've actually been able to see on uh, uh, over the years um i hope this is a bit of a resurgence i think it might be because every review i read almost always isolates mark to a certain degree just to talk about him and and how intimidating he was and gruff but also like there's he's got some great comedic beats in there too he manages to still flex his his comedy chops, but uh, 
that bit about CCTV. Yeah, the enhance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, he he. Um, no, it was a, it was he he was amazing. Like, I mean, off camera, um, I I was kind of terrified actually. My first day was with Mark. I think my first scene in Usher is the Camille death scene um, with Leo sort of basically saying, you know, cut me out of the wheel, I don't care. So that was my first scene. Funnily enough, though, I shot that twice because I shot that with a different actor, which we won't get into, but it's, you can Google it. We we had originally shot this show with a different actor. Didn't work out. He's gone. A new guy came in, Bruce Greenwood. He's a fucking hero. But that original scene with the original uh, first actor we, we did that with, um, that was my first day. And... All day, I remember knowing, I was like, fucking, I'm going to meet Mark Hamill. Um, and we'd been building up to this because Mike knows how important Star Wars was to my career and me even just being an actor. It's the only reason I'm here. And um, and I think also Usher would be the first time I worked with Mike in a more kind of intimate way where like, where on Midnight Mass, I was still kind of like, getting to know him and the crew and I had just come off Bly. So it was a very quick relationship. By the time we were doing Bly, uh, sorry, doing Usher, you know, Mike was texting me like, I think we might get in this actor. I think this might happen. I'm looking at him. I'm looking at this person, which is why I was also, may, may come back to if we get a chance, but I was able to suggest my best friend for a role because I was there from beginning, beginning. So that's never, you know, so I hadn't had that before. But I was, I remember getting the text that, that Mike was going to Mark's house to talk to him. And I was like, oh shit, this is happening. Um, and then like, Mike sent me some selfies of him and Mark. And I, I think he was like, I think he's in. And then he was like updating me. And this is like months before production. He's like, yep, yeah, he's going to do it. Um, and I think he said something like, I want to make sure, I'll make sure that you two have a little scene together or at least something so that you, you work together. And he, 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 you know, obviously, honored that with that scene but um so it'd been built up to me in my mind for a while me one of my heroes it's a big deal by the time i got to set that day i was in this like almost teenage strop mode where like so many people had come up to me on set and been like have you have you seen him yet i had to almost like be like oh fuck off i'm fine and whatever in it like i was trying to be cool because so many people had hyped it up to me. I had to go on the defense and be like, whatever, isn't it? It's just a good, whatever. And then I, I'm i like, okay, I'm just going to say hello. I'm not going to mention Star Wars. That's unprofessional. You know, I'm just going to be like, hi, Mark, nice to meet you. I'm, I'm Rahul. And then get on with the scene and let it be what it is. And I get on set and I notice that like everyone's in this like semicircle. And I'm like, oh, okay, everyone's going to watch this. Um, it's like an arranged marriage or something. And I was like, okay. Um, I go over and I'm like, oh, um, Mr. Hamill. And he was sitting down at the desk <laughs> and, uh, and he looks up and he goes, oh, there's the Star Wars fan. <laughs> so it was like, he had already taken it away from me. And I was like, oh, yeah, hey. And then I was like, listen, it's an honor to meet Sarah and um, oh, whatever. And and then he said something like, what he, I think he was like, you're very funny online, young man, something like that. So I was like, oh, cheers, thanks. And then he goes, where are you from? And I said, London. And he goes, which part? I was like, I'm from sort of like West, Northwest London. And he was like, I used to live there um, because 
the soundstage for Dagobah was in this area. And so, and then he had said the word Dagobah and I was like, oh, it's on. He said Dagobah. He he's mentioned Star Wars. We can talk about it, right? <laughs> so, so between takes, we were just chatting away. He was amazing. And, and I got this full circle moment where um, he kind of, I basically never left unless it was just to go for a cigarette. I basically stayed up in the on set with him, sort of going to the green room or just going to my trailer. And um, he said to me, "Like, what do your parents do? And I, are they in the industry?" And I was like, "Nope, nope. They're just mm-hmm. not working class folk from back home." Um, and he was like, "Oh, so how did you? What? Why well, did you become an actor? When well, did you want to be an actor?" And then I was like, "Well, um, I was twelve and I saw the Star Wars trilogy." I'm not bullshitting. That's exactly what happened in a weekend. I was like, well, that's what I want to do for a living. I want to, I want to be a part of this. And he kind of sat back and was like, I uh, guess something like, uh, is that, well, um, I'm glad we made something that inspired you to become an actor because I think you're great. Or I think you're fantastic or something like that. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, um, I held it together and then I, I called my mum on the way home and told her what he said and then she started crying, which got me a bit emotional. Um, but yeah, and then and then we just became mates and then like we'd have these group scenes um, and Mark would like single me out and be like, he was like, he'd be like, Rahul, I just saw you, well, terrible American accent I'm doing it this morning, but <laughs> he'd be like, I just, I just saw your tweet. And uh, and he would repeat something horrible or, or or disgusting I'd mention and be like and and talk about how it made him laugh that morning, and I I don't know I was always just gleeful I was always like super happy that I I would get Mark's approval either for for a tweet or a joke or something. Anyway, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, what a thing! I mean, knowing how much you love Star Wars and to have that experience, I'm so happy for you, man, and I'm so happy that uh, no, you got to work with him. And it's a great scene as well where he just grabs your arm, almost like a Jedi yeah. thing, as you're walking out the room and just like, and then Roderick uh, just nods and he lets you go. It's a great, it's a great moment. Listen, we're going to talk more about that scene and indeed a lot more about Usher as we go on this journey because I've got a billion questions to ask you about that series. <laughs> but let's do this. Uh, so we are about, because you are our first returning guest to do a very special trip to the movies. It is our Rahul Kohli holiday season special. Uh, So we've never done this before. Could go either way, I'll be honest. Uh, May well become as legendary as the Star Wars holiday special. (laughs) So it is time to leave this reality and enter a dimension of pure Christmas, where our virtual Christmas cinema awaits. Rahul, you are our guide. We are your audience. Let's go on a Christmas trip to the movies. So, we push open the doors to our temple of film and find ourselves in the foyer. Oh, it's beautifully decorated with Christmas decorations. There's a tree in the corner and an excited buzz as there always is in a cinema foyer. The hum of anticipation. It's your perfect festive cinema trip, Rahul. Who are you going to pick, living or dead, to go with you? Last time was Daniel Day-Lewis, which I think might have been a bit of a waste. When I think about it, oh yeah, um, yeah, because like I didn't think about it, think about it, and I and I, this one got me because it's Christmas, Ghost of Christmas mm. Past. I'm gonna start mad person here with something very heavy. Genuinely, it's not a setup for a joke. You you said I could bring someone who's dead, and you said that last time, and it kept I kicked myself. I would I'd revive <laughs> I'd want my grandmother, my late grandmother. Um, if I had the opportunity to see anyone in this world. 
who wasn't around anymore, it would be my grand. I was very close to my grandmother. Um, and she passed away, like, I don't know, a week before I zombie cannibal kicked off my first big break. So she never got to see that. So, um, and she'd supported me more than anyone when I was like dropping out of school and trying to achieve this acting thing and being a little background extra in EastEnders. And she was there for all of it. And then she just, like, we just missed her by a week when I finally secured my first big job. So I've got to take Grant. I've got, to, I've got to bring my grandma to the cinema just to spend one more day with her. Oh, man. And, and, and mm. as well as watching a movie together and enjoying the experience, she'll be able to see that all the support she gave you and how it's paid off and what it's led yeah, to. exactly. That's it. It would be that. I'd, I'd want to be able to talk to her and be like, you know, I did it. I, I, I know it was scary and you thought your grandson. We were always very close. And, and uh, I think she, she had this unwavering belief in me that I, I, I'd make it even when I didn't. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so like, yeah, it'd be nice to sort of be like, well, I sort of did in a way. And with it being Christmas and festive, was, was that yeah. a particular time of year where you saw your late grandmother a lot? Yeah. Every single Christmas was at Grant's, um, every single one. And it was, it's, it's never been the same since she, she passed. Like you always have. It's, it's usually, I think, a grandparent that kind of keeps a family together. They're the glue. So all, uh, it, on my on my father's side, it was my grandma. So all of us would be, all my my uncles and aunties would get together on Christmas Day at Grant's, and, um, which meant all the cousins would fold in and there'd be this like split. And it was always, and, and so I always associate grandmas, especially Christmas, with uh, video games and movies because what would happen was, I mean, we were going there until I was, what, 20? It was quite late. I mean, she passed away when I was 27. So, like, we were still doing that then. Like, even as 27-year-olds, as 26-year-olds, we'd still make sure it was either that or Boxing Day. It'd be one of the two. Um, and it would be like everyone would do the dinner, and then we'd be doing the movies. And it would, and we'd do it as a group. So me and my cousins and my sister, and we'd watch whatever either someone had got given as a gift, which was usually the case. Because um, mm. me and my cousin Emil were massive movie fans, and and we'd always end up with like some box set or some movie that we wanted on Blu-ray or whatever. Um, or when we were even younger, we'd have the Nintendo sixty-four, and we'd be doing like Golden Eye Deathmatch. That was Christmas. It was always that it was with video games or, or movie watches together, and it was always at grandma's. So I, I get that my, my grand was it was Christmas at hers, um, and so movies. Uh, that you saw as a kid at, on Christmas Day were often at my, at my grand's house. Now, you're a bit younger than me, so I don't know whether this applies to you. Were you sort of aware of the, the Christmas period where it was all the Star Wars movies started appearing on ITV at Christmas? So you'd get Empire Strikes oh. Back on Christmas Day on ITV. And that was my introduction to them. That was when I first discovered Star Wars, mid-80s when I was about five six and they were playing the star wars movies on christmas day for about three years oh no i had no idea um i think it was when yeah i i, I yeah it was never on 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 terrestrial for me um i always remember i, I was trying to remember this because i'm to be fair i fucking ate christmas so i i don't know if if i was the right person <laughs> to have for the christmas <laughs> anyway but were Bond movies always on TV as well? I was trying to remember, like, what comes on terrestrial? What what do they pump at you during Christmas? And it felt like Bond was that. Was that Bank Holidays? I'm trying to remember. I think that's Bank. That's Bank Holidays. Uh, let, let, let's Bank. But Bond is Bank Holidays. Why Why do you hate Christmas? 
Uh, well, let's get it out now because we're about to do about another 45 yeah. minutes or so all about <laughs> Christmas. So we, sh- we we should cover this up front rather than like, I'll, I'll just, I'm just me editing it out going, he never said that. He bloody loves Christmas. That's why he wanted to do it. <laughs> I, um, I, I'm, I'm a miserable sod. I always have been. <laughs> and I, and I, you know, it's not put on. I've always just been like, yeah, about everything. Like, I, you know, forced fun group celebrations being told mm. like today is this day you have to be in this particular mood this festive like it's and i'm not you know you have rebels like real real rebels like will fight the system push mm. uh, against laws and 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 and, 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 and weird social structures and, and i'm not brave enough for that i'm a sheep i'm i'm a boot licking um uh sheep except against things like Christmas or some Easter <laughs> or maybe like someone's birthday cake at the office. That's where I, I take a stand, uh, where it really matters on, on bullshit like that. So like, even as a kid, I just like, I don't know. It was always this pressure that like today I had to, today we all had to like pretend like everything was all right and come together. And I, and I, I guess I was just this moody teenager and I'd always like ruin it for either my sister or my family. I don't think it's uncommon, right? A lot of people don't like the holidays. Absolutely. Are you? But have you got? Are you doing something nice this Christmas? Have you, or is it? Are you? Do you shut yourself away and just sort of go? I'm not engaging with this day. I feel like there is a. You, you kind of have to do something. Um, I mean, now I kind of do. I, I I either have to fly back to London and and see my nephew and see my family and stuff like that. Uh, my mum, my dad, and that, or. I'll just do something in LA, small with my partner, like maybe we'll just make sure we have a meal, like maybe we'll watch a movie. I think I think I'm at that age where Christmas has fallen off and it will re hit that kind of spike if I have children. I think I'm at that point. Like I've stopped getting something out of it and then it should shoot back up. I get you. So uh, once again, welcome to the uh, Rahul Kohli holiday special. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Tell me then. Uh, you, you're watching it. You, you're probably going to be watching a movie on Christmas Day. This is your chance to tell me. There's a clock in the foyer. It's holiday season. What time of day mm. are we going to the cinema? Noon. And we have to do noon because I brought my grand with me. And I assume she's her age that she was when she passed. So she's like 89 at this point. I can't mm-hmm. I can't bring her any later. She'll, she'll fall asleep during the movie. So we got, it's got to be a noon visit. I love it. That's thoughtful. That's great. We're going... At noon. Uh, so you've booked the tickets. Where in the auditorium are we going to be sitting? Usually we go for kind of middle back, you know, best kind of view in line with one of the speakers, get the best sound. But again, a lot of this now is about hosting my grandmother. So I've got to pick an aisle mm. not too far up the steps so she can go pee. Because that's just cruel if I stick a middle back at the top. So we're going, we're going awkward aisle as close as possible to the ramp to get out in case she needs to go to the bathroom. I mean, uh, I think that's a beautiful thing to do for your grant. If it was me, I'd want the same thing. I think we've discussed this before. I need an aisle. I need to be able to get out easily because oh, yeah. I don't have the strongest the strongest bladder in the world. We, didn't, we don't need to go into it again. We covered it. I, 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 I feel like I've said enough on that subject, but I do appreciate your consideration. Uh, right then, final thing we need before we leave the foyer and start our walk down the corridor. We need mm, the 
the air is full of wonderful smells. All manner of festive food is available at the various stands, from mince pies to a full Christmas dinner. What are you choosing to eat? This was hard. This was like one of the hardest questions to think about, right? <laughs> yeah. Because it's all so good. That's the bit about Christmas I love. It's the food, man. Like, I don't usually, we don't usually have pigs and blanket all the time. We don't usually get like, you know, it, the, anyway. So I was thinking about it, but I couldn't stop thinking about what we do with the leftovers. And my mum would like, my mum would make the turkey sandwiches, get a bit of stuffing in there. And it was the reheated sandwich next day type yesterday's Yorkshire's reheated with a bit. I want a leftover sandwich. I want a, a big fat turkey sandwich with some gammon in there with the yesterday stuffing with a, with a handful of like pigs and blankets. I want, I want leftovers. I want it fresh because those are my favorite. I love that sandwich, but you, are you, are you with me with this? You got to stick some crunchy salad in there. You got to get some lettuce in there, a bit of mayonnaise on it. This is what I do. I'm like the turkey with the mayonnaise mm. and a bit of stuffing. That, that's, that to me is the perfect sandwich. You, you're looking at me like, what, why are you putting fucking lettuce in my sandwich? You don't have to have the lettuce. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, I'll lose the. I'll take the mayo. We can. It can be dripping with mayo. I don't know why I'm having any greens. I I I know people have the, like most people don't eat Brussels sprouts right until it's Christmas. And I think there's like a guilt. There's always a guilt that you need to have a token few veggie because it is just going to be a giant plate of meat, right? Mostly. Um, I, I I've never felt any societal pressure to dress my plate up with a with some garnishings. It, it's all meat gravy on the top. <laughs> float in Yorkshire's or whatever, just somewhere in the gravy in the gravy pool. Hey, so I mean look, it seems like a, a perfect time to talk about it. you said earlier that you uh, you had to get back into uh shape for uh Usher. Just exactly yeah. what happened in the period between the, the last job and the fall of the house of Usher. I mean what what happened man? I'm going through it now, which is I'm currently at two hundred and forty pounds, which I don't know what that is in kilos. But I'm the biggest yo-yo. Um, I, you know, when people, what, what you should do as a well-adjusted adult, especially if you work in on TV, is mm. look, you don't have to work out every freaking day if you're not working or if you're between jobs. Everyone has their hiatus work, um, but like you know, a measured amount. And then when you book it, you look at what the role dictates and decide where you need to go from there and how much work you need to do. I seem to do this thing where it's all or nothing. So for a role, it will be the strictest kind of discipline of, you know, having these, you know, meal prep training five days a week, whatever, just to get, just to look like how other people look in their hiatuses. That's the amount of work I do because when I'm not working, it's McDonald's Popeye's. I have the diet of a, an 18 year old with their dad's credit card. Like I just, it's, it's, and it's food burritos. It's just bang, bang. What do you want for breakfast? Well, there's cereal. No, bang. We'll just get a brioche bun with a fried egg and it cost me 80, but like, it's so bad. And it's like, you know, the, 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 there's a, I'm starting to feel my age and it is diet related. And I think I was even saying this to Flanagan. I was like, you know, when you're in your twenties, your bedside table, it would be like, Depending on where you were in your life, you know, there might be a bit of water there, but it was your phone charger, maybe some condoms. That was about it. Whatever. Yeah. If it was like either you were alone or you were with someone, that was usually what you had. Now I've got 
water, Pepto-Bismol, um, Tums, antiacids, um, no strips for sleep apnea. Like the amount of things that are building up that I need just to try and like sleep for four hours without choking. Um, it's just increasing. And then, yeah, so like, and it's so funny because all these shows come out and I do so much work to pile on the weight between shows. I'm being like, they're looking at these photos of Leo, for instance, like, oh, wow. And I don't think I've been, I've been out a lot in, in LA recently and I've not been recognized for Usher at all, right? At all. And which is nuts because it's like, it was the most streamed show in the world in October. Um, and I do stand out. I'm like, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm not like some generic looking like I, I know I, I stand out. I've not been recognized. And it might be because um, I, <laughs> I, uh, I look like Jake Lamotta, De Niro on the other that side. I've gone, I've gone that way for the end of the movie. Um, and everyone's watching the, the first bit of the movie. Um yeah, and, I, and now that the strikes are over, I've got to lose it all quickly. But do you like the challenge? Is that part of it? When you say all or nothing, is it sort of like, look, I'm going to do, I'm going to take it to this level because then I get to sort of like work from from this place to whatever is required for this role and, and that is part of the, the building of a character for you or is it just, I don't give a fuck, I'm just going to do what I want for this period, I'm not working. It's that bit. It's the second bit. But there is, I mean, there is like just to get back to normal at now at 38 like the amount of work i've had to do in between these shows just to go to like yeah he looks normal like there's no abs there's you know there's still a bit of jiggle even that like takes like six months of like a dietitian being like okay you need to stop eating at four here's your three hour wind like and that's just to do normal because that's how abusive i am when i'm out of work but i kind of like it because I don't think my partner does, but like to me, that's enjoying life. Um, I'm usually abroad when I'm filming. I'm usually alone um, in a hotel, and and for some reason, when I'm living that life, you know, it's easier to kind of like. Well, I, I can make seven a.m., five a.m. gym calls just before work. I can I can somehow I bring my my, my meals to my my work and protein shakes and stick to it and, and i'm super disciplined when i'm away from home um because i'm almost not living my life right i'm not i'm not around my stuff so i can adopt any kind of um lifestyle that i decide is gonna you know start from this shoot day as soon as i get home and there's all these toys and movies and 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 home time dog play time i'm so happy that i eat myself to death like i'm it's out of pure happiness of being home really and and dinner dates with and 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 just picking the worst things possible all the time every every day going yeah the burger yeah i'll do the burger yeah what with the ice cream sunday yeah 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 and just doing that until until i'm reactivated and flanagan's like i've got this hot boy for you to play fuck and I start going to Mike. This is I've got to this point now when I go to Mike's. I'm so paranoid because I'm like, he can see me, right? He can see me. He, I, there's no hiding. There's no Instagram angle where, like, so I wear like extra baggy clothes and make it look like like a like a Kanye shirt, like it's a fashion statement because I'm a I'm a I'm a actor boy. Really, I'm just like 
I hope he doesn't realize I'm not leading man material with these tits. So. <laughs> oh, oh, man. All right. Well, the food that we're having is a delicious Christmas leftovers sandwich, but no fucking lettuce, just swimming in mayo and meat. Meat and mayo and a Yorkshire pudding. Mm, that's what we're taking. Oh, yeah. Right. Let's make our way through the set of doors into the corridor that leads towards the auditorium. Now, the corridor is looking pretty bare, so as well as putting up some Christmas decorations, I'm also going to put up some posters that depict your most important movie memories of the festive season, and the first poster we're putting up depicts your fondest festive movie memory. Okay, fondest festive movie memory. I I, I have this joy moment. I, my uncle... My mum's brother took me and my sister to central London, like height of Christmas, um, to see Home Alone 2 in Leicester Square. And I must have been like seven or eight years old. But like he took us and it was like it was as it, it felt like Times Square. And it felt like, you know, Macaulay Culkin in New York, like the trees, the lights were up. I, I remember um, he took us to like. I want to say we went to Hamley's or something too to just pick us something up. Um, but yeah, being in Leicester Square and and you, you know when you're a kid going into Central, you might as well be flying off to Los Angeles. Like it's a big <laughs> trip away from home. I'm going to Central London. Um, but there's something about that memory of being just me and my little sister and my uncle taking us to see Home Alone too, which we were super excited to see as well. Um, has got to it, it, it keeps overriding all these other little memories I have of Christmas at Grands and all of that. For there's something special about that. It feels idealistic almost. That's a great memory, and I'm a big fan of Home Alone too myself. Um, we'll talk more about comparing them, but the one thing I will say about Home Alone too, yeah. big uh, big Tim Curry fan myself, and uh, him as Mr. Hector the Concierge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now I did say I was going to mention some more about. Uh, the Fall of the House of Usher, and I want to pick out my fondest memory, as in, I think, one of the nicest moments uh, in that series, uh, which is full of darkness but and, and arguments and, and quite difficult relationships between characters. But there's a moment, and I believe it's in your episode or the episode before... No, sorry, it'll be the episode before your episode. Uh, so uh, Kate Siegel's episode. And mm -hmm. it's where you and her have eaten edibles on the sofa in Leo's apartment. And she's doing that wonderful monologue about being a ceiling fan and how none of the Usher children actually make anything. But I think it's it's just one of the most tender moments because your two characters actually like each other. And in a sea of arguments yeah. and hate and one-upmanship and bickering, it's just a really touching moment in a beautiful scene. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think we felt that way too. It felt like the, the, when we were doing it, felt separate also the one with perry both those two scenes mm. felt very separate from the you like what we would do it normally um yeah it was it was it was a obviously i love seagulls probably one of my best mates at this point um we're very similar and we have very similar kind of chaotic vibes on set um and i was look, just looking forward to a day where it's just the two of us because i don't think on midnight I, I feel like we've we've hovered around each other we've had days where like we've both been in um and had a decent amount to do but not 
not together. There's always either been a third character or it was a group scene and then we, we'd be like mucking around between takes, but not like, okay, it's Kate and Roll, where are they? Kind of um, rehearsing and working on something. But um, yeah, it, I don't know. Like Leo, it was, it was a weird one with me because um, there wasn't like a big discussion with Mike about why Leo does feel slightly different to everyone else. And I think it was the compassion. I think like... His rea- and, 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 and like, it, usually when you're being able to kind of talk to the person who wrote it is, is a, is a privilege. A lot of the time, like, especially when we were doing plays in theater, you, you don't have access to that writer anymore because it's fucking 300 years old or whatever. But like, um, so you're looking for clues, but you still do that now, even when you could just call someone and go, Hey, what do you mean by this? You're still kind of working in isolation looking for clues. And I was like, this is so weird because Leo's the only sibling no one directly talks shit about. Like Camille will say, you know, Leo fucks his fans or or whatever. They talk about him, but they never are like directly assassinating his character. None of the siblings do that. So I was like, well, that's that's something about who this guy is. Why don't they ever? And then on top of that, when we start with the, um, the bounty on everyone's heads, right? Find the informant. 50 mil bounty no one in the scripts ever think it's leo he's not brought up once it's perry or it's maybe camille did it or maybe you did it and and so i was like so they never even like think it's leo once why um and i had to try and figure that out because it was going to like so i i had made this decision i was like well what makes this sibling isolated and i thought well maybe he's just not that bothered about roderick's affection what he is but not to that degree, because if we take out the competition of daddy's affection and trying to impress him, that stops his other siblings being competition. And if he's not in competition with them, he's not a threat to them. And if he's not a threat to them, then maybe they can fight, right? And, and, and so I was like, maybe that justifies it. So that was in my head. I was like, well, that's got to be it, right? I never actually asked Mike. Uh, I'm sure that's what he intended. I just was like, I guess that's why. No one suspects Leo. He's the, he's the safe sibling. He's got his own demons, but he he don't he don't bicker with the siblings. Um, and then I was like, well, why you know why doesn't he have daddy issues? And I just made this head cannon. And I was like, well, maybe he had a good stepdad. That happens. Why you know he had a really loving stepdad, and he came he had a good family, but he was seduced by you know having his biological father come along and throw multi million dollars you know at him and flew him out to 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 America. Um, so what we did was. Trevor Macy's Mike's producing partner and, and um, basically, you know, was he a partner of Intrepid Pictures? Um, mm-hmm. Trevor, we had a painting of him in a movie. He was, it was like a background thing. I think it might have been either Oculus or we, it was one of the old movies. There's a portrait of him looking like some, you know, 18th century kind of well-to-do guy. And, um, I had makeup turn that into a tattoo and I put it on Leo's ribs. So Trevor Macy is on <laughs> is on my ribs. And in my head canon, I was like, that's his stepdad. That's his dad in London or whatever. So Trevor's on my body. And we, we tried to make sure that when Leo was getting head, um, Michael Fumignoria, director of Mike Flanagan, like we wanted it to be in frame just as Leo's getting head because we thought it'd be super funny. But you end up seeing it better when the cat walks on him. But that's that's true. Anyway, long story. But yeah, that well, that was one of those two two three scenes that um, kind of informed me, uh, like ah, okay, he, this this guy kind of isn't 
isn't the same as everyone else in that respect. Mm. I want to talk more about Perry um, and uh, yeah. in, in a little bit. Let's put up another poster now. Let's continue down the corridor. So we're putting up a poster for Home Alone 2 as your fondest festive movie memory. It's time to put up a poster for your worst festive movie memory. It's going to be The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Okay. Um, and it exists in the Coley uh, household as the reason why we had a big fight one year and I ruined Christmas for everyone. Um, I am a dick, especially when I was younger. Um, and I kicked off one Christmas morning because I had said that I had wanted the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers extended edition DVD box set. But I wanted the collector's one that came with the little golem whatever um something was lost in translation and i was given the extended editions without the statue <laughs> and i don't know what the fuck i was on but i i don't know why i thought i just let rip on my wonderful family and my beautiful sister who had spent you know her money to get me this thing because it wasn't exactly as i had asked for and it just, I don't know, I think I stormed off. I caused a big fucking fight. Um, and we're just a small family. There's four of us. And I, I, I uh, <laughs> so if I think of Christmas arguments, I'm like, yeah, the two towers. I remember when I did that. I don't know what was wrong with me, hormones. Being, I don't know, I just decided to pop off that day. Um, I think we got back to normal by the time Christmas dinner. We sat down and like, and I think I was embarrassed about how I behaved. Um but there's been a, there's been a few Christmases where I've done that with presents. There was this old there's a second one. It's a real fast one, but it, again, it involves my sister. Um, we had a budget. I think my dad gave me like fifteen twenty pounds to spend on my sister because I didn't have money when I was a kid, right? So he'd give us a bit of cash and be like, "Go get your sister something," and he did the same for her. And for me, on the my Christmas list was a T sixteen Skyhopper. The thing that Luke Skywalker's holding in in a new hope right when he's playing with it they had that as a figure as a, as a vehicle Hasbro toy and that was about 16 quid at the time from like an Argos and my sister had like wanted I don't know it was like a Spice Girls album or some shit like that which was like 11 quid anyway so we go shopping and she gets me using the full money the Star Wars toy on the list again she's the good kid she does it me, I go, but then I see something else I want. So I bought another Star Wars figure, left myself with about four quid left or five quid left to spend, and bought my sister Neighbours, you know, the Australian soap opera, their Top yep. Trumps cards, and it had a giant picture <laughs> of Toadfish on it. And I, she didn't even really watch Neighbours, but I just remember it's ingrained in my head, and I gave that. So I spent her budget and got her Neighbours Top Trumps. <laughs> And I remember we can, can still bring it up to her now and she remembers, but like that caused a massive, massive fight. And like, I think she was crying. Like I did do a day that I was, I told you I was, I was an asshole. I'm trying not to say the C word that I was, uh, yeah, that was my second Chris bad Christmas memory was the toadfish one. I mean, if I didn't know just how much you loved Star Wars, it would be even worse, but you, you do love Star Wars. I don't know. I don't know if it gets you a pass on neighbors' fucking top trumps. That's I know. That's that's almost like you hate someone. That's something you give to someone you hate. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
yeah, I have that I, I'm I'm sharing this now because I think I think my sister's proud of me and she loves me. Um, but it's been a bumpy road, you know. I it's been hard for them to support and love me, and and I'm acknowledging that 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 like they're good people. Um, and for some reason, again, I I've shown my ass at Christmas. It's always Christmases. I don't know what, and that's probably why I got this thing again. So that's it's the Grinch. I'm always like, I'm gonna fuck myself for everyone somehow for no reason. Um, I yeah, I called this. Uh... I sort of compared this to a holiday special, perhaps the Star Wars holiday special at the very start. I'm starting to think this is more like mm. a, a, a sort of version of a Christmas carol and you've just exercised the ghost of Christmas past. So that's good. That's a good way of looking at this. I think so. With my with my grandma being next to me, right? We've got the ghost of Christmas past. You know, I think it's more, yeah, it's more of a Scrooge thing going on here. Yeah. But by the end, who knows where we'll be. Uh, but let's put up a poster for, I mean, I don't know. No, I'm not putting up neighbours. Let's put up the two towers because that's 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 where it began. The two towers, <laughs> Xmas present disaster. Yeah. Right, then the next poster is for the last performance in a Christmas movie that brought you to tears. This is odd because I don't really watch Christmas movies. But first we have to acknowledge that Edward Scissorhands is a Christmas movie. Are we a cool with that? I think it is. Done, yeah. It, it certainly is. I mean, the the whole second half, well, the last third at least, is set at yeah. Christmas. And it's, yeah, it's the juxtaposition of how it suddenly becomes the season of goodwill and they all turn on poor Edward. So for me, and it still gets me every time, when um, <laughs> when when Winona Ryder says to Edward, mm. hold me, and he goes, I can't, um, and just walks off. And then she helps him and puts his... You know, scissor hands around him. Tears every single time. It's and it might be just like that, like Pavlovian thing. As I like used to cry as a kid over that movie, used to just always make me super sad. Um, yeah, that that. If I watch that tonight, it will be that same moment. Um, um, yeah, Edward Scissorhands. And is that is that is it a frequent or infrequent thing you crying at movies? Is this like you say it might be Pavlovian? Do you cry at new movies? Frequent. All of it, trailers, the soundtrack. I, I, um, I'm not doing myself any favors on this on this podcast. I sound absolutely fucking insane. <laughs> um, the other day, my partner, I was showing her a TikTok, and it was this like 12 year old boy doing karaoke of Celine Dion's "My Heart Will Go On," and I showed it to her. I was like, "Look at this," and he's giving it, you know, giving it large, and he's doing a really good job. And she looks up, and I, I was crying. And um, and she was just like, it was just a red flag for her. She was like, "Oh my god, one day he's going to turn on on us." <laughs> he's, yeah, like, it doesn't. Honestly, if I come to you and go, "No, it's a beautiful performance," I was in tears. It doesn't mean anything. That's so fucking easy. Um, it's not a compliment for me. You just got to do the bare minimum. <sighs> Okay, uh, well, we're putting up a poster then. Uh, not a compliment, but nevertheless, it is Edward Scissorhands for <laughs> Hold Me, I Can't. And the final poster we're putting up before we leave the corridor and into the auditorium is what your unpopular opinion about Christmas movies is. What is your unpopular Christmas movie opinion? My unpopular Christmas movie opinion is... And it's this is again it's a debating right like is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yeah, yeah. no. 
Um, I'll, I, Rocky Four is a Christmas movie. Rocky Four is a Christmas movie and one of the best Christmas movies, which is never in anyone's list. That's an interesting one. Uh, so Die Hard, yes, we don't need to have that debate. That's a, that's a boring debate. Uh, uh, I, I think I, I totally agree with you on Edward Scissorhands. Tell me why you think Rocky Four, which in my opinion is the best Rocky. That's probably sacrilege. But nevertheless, it's my favorite Rocky. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, I've never considered it a Christmas movie, and I'm a fan of the film. Tell me why it's a Christmas movie. There's snow in it. <laughs> I'm starting with easy ones. <laughs> it's Russia. Red trunks. But he fights on Christmas Day. December 25th is the day of the fight oh, in Russia. And and it kick every time it kicks back to his son, the robot's got a Christmas hat on. They're in front of a Christmas tree. He trains throughout Christmas in Russia in the snow. Um, Adrian comes back. You know, they make up, he's confronting, you know, Apollo's death, which someone could stretch into some sort of Christmas and now, you know, metaphor. Um, And then he he solves the Cold War on Christmas Day. Like, he has the whole crowd cheering for for him. I think that's one of the, it's one of the most uplifting Christmas movies of all time. So that's the end of the fight. Where he says to the, the the Soviet audience, largely largely soldiers, he goes, "If I can change, if it, you can change. Everybody can change." It's beautiful. Also, I think on IMDb trivia, someone said that the translator isn't translating what Stallone's saying. It's a complete bastardization and doesn't make any sense. What intentionally within the confines of the plot of the film? Nah, he's doing a, a trans. He's they're not getting the same moving speech that the American audiences are getting. Okay. I think I, I think I, I think I agree with you. I mean it's not really very festive in terms of sentiment, the fact that Adrian has gone off to Russia. So like his son is watching his dad in a fight on Christmas Day on his own and it's a fight in which his dad might die. But he's got the robot and the put the, he's put a hat on the robot. He must have done that. Do you know what? I mean, I, I, I sort of walked into this conversation about Rocky IV thinking I wouldn't be convinced. But do you know what? I, I'm convinced. I, I don't know that everyone else is. It's not on a lot of lists for Christmas movies. So it is an unpopular movie opinion. I'm putting up a poster for Rocky IV as a Christmas movie. And that's it. We've arrived at the last set of doors. Now, there is a queue of people hoping to join you and your gran in the auditorium. It's up to you. Do you want them to come in or do you want this just you and her time? Because, you know, I, I would get it. You don't have to invite them in. Do you want a busy auditorium? I'm going to be ageist. I'm going to let in the old folk, all the youths. They can jog on. Dumb. We're making it an OAP screening. Well, the older people in the audience, they go wild. They go crazy. They're pouring into the auditorium. Now, <laughs> before we get to the movie you've picked for us tonight, your ultimate Christmas movie. There's a few things we're going to play on the big screen. And the first, and this does not have to be a Christmas movie, the first is we're going to play a trailer for the movie you are most looking forward to seeing at the cinema. Last year, when we did this, I uh, had said that the movie we were playing in the movie theater, I think was Mad Max, Fury Road. I'm pretty sure I said that. Yes. So when I was having a look at next year's schedule, what did I see? Furiosa. And I feel like we've come full circle. They're saying it's 2024. Uh, if I'm going to put Mad Max as my ultimate movie on my trip to the movies, I have to put Furiosa as my most anticipated uh, movie for 2024. You know, you were saying a moment ago about crying at uh, at trailers, uh, you know, crying at a lot of stuff, but crying at trailers. Yeah. 
the the Mad Max Fury Road trailer. I think it's set to Verdi. The dun 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 da da. That makes me weep. Like amazing. Like talking about weird stuff that you cry. Action makes me cry. Like really, really beautifully done action. Like the the, the best example I have is the bit in the Matrix where Neo uh, dodges bullets for the first time. Doesn't get away with it. The agent standing over him goes, only human. And then it ends with Trinity just standing there going, dodge Dodge this. this. Tears every time. I think it's it's beautiful. Yeah, I'm I'm I especially those rousing action scenes, they Rocky Rocky's a big part of that. Like um Rocky Four. Every time he cuts Ivan Drago, that punch and the commentator goes, He's cut, he's cut. The Russians, like, I, I genuinely get this flood of emotion um, just because, you know, yeah, Dolph Lundgren's bleeding and he's done the impossible. Um, yeah, the, and, and, like, action, I think action, speed, speed's another one. In speed, I genuinely tear up at the bus gap jump. Yes! The way the music starts and all the passengers start and, 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 and holding the handbag, the, two, the little older couple that hold each other and Keanu with Sandra Bullock as they, like, I'm getting goosebumps now. That type, like, obviously we cry at, like, you know, there's the Titanics and the, the, the those movies. They, they're expected, but, like, um, but, yeah, when it's stuff like that, speed, that flood of emotion and, and anticipation, um, yeah. What did I say? Furiosa. Furiosa, yeah. yeah. Which I, yeah, so it's Anya Taylor-Joy as uh, playing a younger Furiosa. Mm. George Miller's back. I mean, you know, everything's pointing towards this being a, a great movie. Um, I wondered if you were going to pick, actually, because I know... We've talked about it before. You're a huge Ghostbusters fan. You obviously voiced Tobin um, in the the game Spirits Unleashed. Mm-hmm. You you excited for Frozen Empire? You've seen the little trailer. It was on my list. I I had obviously that. I was doing two was there, but Ghostbusters was a tough one because I um I, I I I liked Afterlife a lot. Mm-hmm. Um and I liked the look of the trailer. I think. Am I right? It was it's it's based or it takes inspiration from the cartoon, one of the episodes, apparently. Apparently so, yeah. Yeah. Um that red jacket, I want it, I'm buying it, or whatever they're wearing <laughs> at the end, that winter coat Ghostbusters uniform. I mean, I want I want the merch. Um I should be able to hook that up. Um I reckon. But um it it yeah. But uh I there's something about look, I think I know, and I don't mean this as a negative. I think I know what I'm going to get with Ghostbusters. Um, I've seen Afterlife. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm in. With George Miller, I don't know what we're going to get from Furiosa. I genuinely don't know. Just like no one could have anticipated that Fury Road was going to be what it was. And that alone even is why I picked even Doom 2, um, is the unpredictability of it. And like, and that could be to its own detriment. Like, what are we going to get? What is this movie? Um, but yeah, that that alone makes me uh, makes it be the most anticipated movie for me for next year. I love it. We're playing the trailer for Furiosa on the big screen. So next up on the big screen, we are playing the moment in a Christmas film that makes you literally or metaphorically pump your fist in the air. Batman Returns, Christmas movie. Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Um, it's. The first time, I think the clowns attack and they shine. They're like, you know, uh, Commissioner Gordon, uh, they, they throw up the bat signal and it's cast into the sky. And he, and the way this system works is it like picks up the signal and re registers it, 
takes and then it has its own one and it flashes it back into Wayne Manor and um and it's and it basically flashes onto Bruce but the reason it gets me is uh I get super hyped about it for for because obviously it's the you know it's the rousing theming and the Danny Elfman of it all it's done super well but there's also this element of it that like he was waiting for it it always gets me because he's not doing anything, right? And that usually when Bruce is called, there's other shit going on. But this is a Michael Keaton just sitting in this gothic mansion, just like that, you know, and waiting for something to pop off in Gotham to then be like, all right. And I just get super hyped every time for that for that moment. It's a great moment. It's yeah. a great moment because you're like, I think it's because it's such an alien thing for a lot of us. When do when do you ever find yourself just sitting thinking? in a chair i like just i i he's not like you say he's not doing anything he's not watching tv he's not fucking around on his phone he's just just sitting in a dark room and then bang the bat signal he's like uh-huh right i'll stop doing whatever i'm not doing and go do something brilliant well that's always been like the thing about bruce and and i actually wanted to write a, a script mm. about this um or at least a comic book but like we always seem to kind of gloss over and dust over the fact that he has some serious mental health issues. Like, I don't even mean that as a bit. Like, he is, he's, he needs help. And Alfred is super enabling. Alfred is a terrible person who is like, yeah, so he's in his 30s, he dresses up and, he, and I, and I sort of just patch him up and go, you know, like that, it, he, there's nothing wrong with Alfred. So I don't know what the fuck Alfred's doing, allowing this to be going down and not like calling someone. <laughs> but like, this guy is so broken. Um, uh, and like, yeah, I mean, the movies, I think Keaton, I felt like Keaton had that more than any of the others. I felt like Keaton was the most damaged and got it. Like, this guy's yeah. nuts. I mean, you yeah. see it, right? Against the Joker when he. You know, of course, yeah. Let's get nuts, yeah. That was that. That was like at that point he was on. It was on par with 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 the Joker, and it's like, well, yeah, he is. He is just as unhinged as the Joker. They just have two different kind of missions. But um, but that's why I love the Keaton thing. That's why I get hyped. You know that there's something about this. Since <laughs> he's waiting alone to just go out and beat the fuck out <laughs> of these people in Gotham, and like. He could it, that got that signal could be it doesn't need to be that big, it's right on him as well, right? It could just be like a little light in the room, and he goes, "It could be hardware." No, it has to be projected onto his entire house, and then he sort of stands up. It, it just is so unhinged. It just gets me super excited for for the chaos. I, I mean, you said I was going to write a script. Were you seriously thinking, oh, I mean, I, you want to put pen to paper and actually write a script or were you just like toying with an idea? Yeah. I had this idea for a graphic novel um, stroke movie. Um, and I don't want to give it away. I'll tell you, I'll tell you off camera, but it's a, yeah, I, I think we genuinely, and we have the sort of, you know, connections to sort of have a serious chat about it, which is the only reason why I wouldn't mm. check, but I wanted to do this little run. I've never written anything before, but like I had this fucking decent idea with with Alana about what we could do with that character. It'd be super interesting. Um, but yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you off camera. 
Yeah, that sounds awesome, man. Yeah. Um uh, just uh just I just want to throw yeah. you one of the moment as a fist pump moment from Batman Returns, which in my opinion is the greatest Batman movie, which raises a few eyebrows when people talk about the Dark Knight, but fuck it, I'm going there. Batman Returns is the best Batman movie in my opinion. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's but then you know it's like what we were talking about. It's like you know, is it the Pavlovian thing? It was the one I saw as a kid at the cinema, the first Batman movie I saw at the cinema. Sure. And I was just like, anyway, the bit is uh where Michelle Pfeiffer, the penguin, and Batman are having a chat on the street, and then she flips, she flips like about eight times out of the department store. She goes, flip, 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 beat, meow. And then the windows explode behind her, and I just get goose. There, there you go, goosebumps. Talking about, it. I just think it's just incredible yeah. that moment. It, the, 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 I'll, I'll say this though, like at this point, well, I don't know what iteration we're on, but Tim Burton's Batman absolutely nailed the casting. Like, obviously, you look at something like you know what Nolan did with it, and even with uh, the the Matt Reeves one. Um, but like, it, to get it that right, to get Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman is like the ultimate fan casting for that era. Of course, Michelle Pfeiffer is Catwoman. Danny DeVito, the Penguin, like that shit is straight out of the message boards of people <laughs> going for the most obvious choice for something, but getting it too. Who should be the Joker? Jack Nicholson. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It's just so, it's yeah. so, the only one that's crazy is Michael mm. Keaton. And now is a no-brainer. You're like, well, of course it's fucking Michael Keaton. He's, he's, you know, um, but but like, yeah, that that what they did with that. I mean, even like down to Alfred and, and yeah, Commissioner Gordon, is it Pat Hegel and everyone was just, was perfect. Um, yeah, they uh, you know put some respect on the on on the Tim Burton franchise. I did see you sort of raise your eyebrow. At Batman Returns being the best Batman movie, though, you weren't quite sold on that one. Yeah, because I think it's. I've got I've got Reddit takes. I'm I'm about to say something I'm sure regurgitated from Reddit, but I I, I think it's a bit too Tim right. Burton. Um, it's a I, I think it's great, but like '89. But then '89 is the one for me because that was the one I that that I saw first that I watched a million times. Um, and it, like I know I know that movie back to front. I got to work with Danny Elfman. How was that? What were you, what we what did you work with Danny Elfman on? Um, I did a movie called Next Exit, and Marley Elfman uh, directed it. And through that experience, I I got to meet Danny, and um, he had written a cut like a couple of the melodies for that. So he had worked a, a little bit on it. Not he didn't. I don't think he served as the composer of the movie, but he he worked in a, in a small kind of hands-off way but i got to spend the day with danny at his studio and like i mean i'm a product of the tim burton kind of early era so edward scissorhands beetlejuice batman batman returns um and i'm i'm just straight listing song titles off that album like oh flowers is dope uh darkness descent or whatever descent into darkness is one of my favorites and the you know um that 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 but Batman 89, that sound, Charge of the Batmobile, the song that plays when uh, the automated Batmobile drops the bomb inside the, the whatever it's called, the where they make the acid or whatever. Um, yeah, I really kind of like was a bit intense with, with old Elfman on that one. Because um, I think Batman 89 was like the first, like, what was my first or second movie obsession? It was that and Mars Universe. 
you know, I was four when I, 89 came out. Um, and uh, I think my dad recorded it off BBC when it was first on television. So I must have been about six, maybe, or seven. But yeah, it was more a proper obsession, that one. Yeah, I mean, I, lo- I loved 89 as well. And you know, when something... I th- I, there's something that like it's it seeps into your, your your brain as a kid and you don't know why but you carry it with you for the rest of your life and and it's a real thing and i i i could never ever die in a thigh length silk dressing gown and slippers and it was it's it's jack palance's death in that i'm just like it's so embarrassing to be found like that in a short silk dressing gown. I, I can never, I just don't want to go that way. I've said to people, if you ever find me in that state, dress me. And then I don't, it doesn't matter if you disturb the crime scene. I can't be seen in a dressing gown like that. It really upsets me, his death. I remember that scene always gets a big laugh out of my sister because doesn't he go, is that you, Sugar Lumps? <laughs> and then Jack Nicholson's like, yeah, it's me, Sugar yeah. Lumps. Or something like that. I always used to get a laugh out of my sister. Uh, Right, we're playing Batman Returns, the Bruce waiting for the bat signal scene. Right, next up, we are going to play what you consider the most shocking moment in a Christmas film. Okay, so it works only if we acknowledge that Rocky Four is a Christmas movie, right? And I, and I did. I, I, I'm i with you now. And you did. Mm. Okay. So then it has to be Apollo Creed's death. Um, I think it was one of the most harrowing things i had seen at a young age it, like that might have been one of my first introductions or earliest introductions to mortality and as a kid so it's like it was probably that and the and the, and the bruce wayne one from 89 um apollo's death the the music that vince decola i think is it is vince decola did the soundtrack for for the score for but he has a synthesizer that plays ominous villain theme for rock for drago and it's like don't 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 i know and the night of the fight they play this theme because and it's got this like real cinema and you got shots of just this this machine and like for years my sister who was like my movie watching partner that was the one bit she could never watch like she would react to that to that segment even the living in america that's not a joyous song for me. That's that's like a death march. Like that that's something bad's gonna happen whenever <laughs> I hear that song. And it's living in a mare. And like Yeah, and and the the first time the sound effects, obviously the you know, crazy over the top sound effects, but the first time Drago hits Apollo in that ring and it just sounds like a car crash. And it's just just this like brutalizing of this of this guy. Um, it's still now when I show people the Rocky franchise, like it still holds. It's still shocking to people. I think it's still quite. It's done quite viciously, and I think it still holds up. Um, I think me and Alana, she had just watched it for the first time, and I remember her kind of when that first when he you know Dol Dol Flanagan's cocking this 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 right hand back, and then he just unleashes it. Um, yeah. It still holds, man. Thirty-eight years later. Yeah, it, it it's great. It's great. If he dies, he dies. The whole bit where you're like, I mean, the only sort of like the only I'm in an R and have about it is the fact that I know Apollo says, "Don't throw in the towel, no matter what happens." And you're sort of like watching Rocky, watching his friend really severely like get beaten up, and he's just sort of going, oh, "I did make a promise, though." And you're like, "It doesn't fucking matter." 
throw the fucking towel in. Yeah. He's dying out there. But I think as I got, when I was younger, that was frustrating and it was, it, it you know, you, you felt like he was to blame, Rocky was to blame. But as I've got older, because I do watch that movie a lot, you realize that Apollo's committing suicide and it's the what he's he's miserable and I think that was the layer that's not necessarily I feel like because it was an 80s movie because you know it's a big budge budget like you know franchise at that point I don't think they wanted to be so super heavy-handed with it but everything he talks about is seems like someone who's lost the will mm. to live and is depressed and is stuck in the glory years and almost willingly goes into this knowing this is how I want to go. Do not fucking stop me. Uh, this is my last battle. I want to die on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And Rocky isn't let is the only thing Rocky's wrestling is whether or not to let his friend get what he wants. Wow. Um, that's an interesting read. Right. That's just, and that's yeah. the thing. And everyone else gets it, but he, yeah, he said to him, um, if there's no, what did he say? If there's no water fight, then the warrior might as well be dead. Stallion. I had to put that Birmingham. But he, 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 he's letting him know, I think, early on, this is it. This is what I want to do. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's my read on it anyway. That's a great read. I hadn't even considered that, but that, that does change it and does make it a lot more understandable why Rocky is doing what he's doing. I'm talking of shocking moments, though. Um, uh, I, I will say this of uh, the fall of the house of Usher. It's the first Mike Flanagan series that I've had to take a break from. Ooh. It takes a lot to screw me up. I watch a lot of horror. I watch a lot of nasty things. It's water for ducks back at this stage. It's been a long time since I've gone. I'm not going to be able to watch this next episode for a bit. I need a day, a day and a half just to recalibrate. Um, I'll, I'll I'll let you have a guess uh, as to which uh, which episode. I know you do, don't you? Episode two, Acid Party, Mask of the Red the Red Death, right? Fuck me! It's hor. It was so horrible. Yeah, visceral. I it, I, I remember reading it. The descriptions in the script. I I remember this one that stands out. It's something like you can see someone's jawbone sticking out. Like there was like all this description of the viscera and the melting, but like it was, it was this, I think that everyone was waiting for that day. That was like the, the, every show has the day where like, have you, have they shot it yet? Oh, they're shooting it next week. It's this. And then that was the one, right? It was the the peri acid, the cuddle puddle. Um, And I think I also remember, so we all, all the cars at a certain point had to, be we uh, the name escapes me now it's so bad of me special effects house incredible special effects house that that, 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 uh, did ours on on our shirt we all needed costs for digital doubles and prosthetics and i remember going to their studio in la not like maybe three months four months before we started filming um to get my cast done i'd never had that before you know they cover you and you sit there with the nose holes trying to 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 not have a panic attack um and while i was there they had about six people working around the clock on just the cuddle puddle stuff because a lot of it was real and i was you know it, it just it was even in just three months out just their like studio their uh, uh, area just this table covered in like melted acidic body parts <laughs> It was wild. I, so I knew that. I was like, this is, 
this is going to be nuts. And apparently, again, I don't know if this is true. I could be embellishing this. I heard that we caused a shortage of prosthesis or, or whatever texture they use to make those bodies. We caused it an industry shortage because of how much needed to be used to create that scene. That's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was worth it because, like I said, um, very rare to have. I, I, it, I just I couldn't stop thinking about it. I went to bed thinking about it. I, I like I couldn't get to sleep thinking about it. I woke up thinking about it. It's just, it's brilliant. And I think it's. Uh, I, I think it was unexpected as well. Um, even with people who've perhaps seen like Mike's previous series, this felt really, mm. really like intentionally nasty. Yeah. Yeah. It. It did feel like, I mean, the that's the thing about Mike is is he can do, he can do that. That's of course that's always been, I think, um, in his in his toolbox. He can do jump scares, you know. Like that's the thing. Like I think every time I do see sort of like some negativity le- levied towards the work that we've been doing, a lot. If, if there are naysayers when I look at like Midnight Mass or Blind Man or any of the things I've been in, it's usually like it's not scary enough, not enough. You know, or, um, you know, obviously the monologues are a thing that always get brought up. Like, oh, the monologues. Cool. I, and, and you know what? Like, to, I'm not vicious enough to be like, well, if you don't like that shit, then you're an idiot. No, like, if, if it's not for you, it's not for you. And you're completely within your right to feel that way. It's, it isn't a Monologues can be an acquired taste, sure. But it's something that Mike thoroughly enjoys and we enjoy performing. And it's his expression. But, like, I think after Midnight Mass in particular, um, this definitely, Usher definitely felt like a kind of a middle finger. I think like Mike going, oh, all right, you want to, you want that? You 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 know, you want something a little bit more kind of uh, over the top and like in your face. Here is a here's a uh, an orgy acid bath. Here is a <laughs> monkey ripping off someone's face. Here's a woman carving open her her own partner's chest you know like here's a a guy being cut in half with a pendulum like it definitely felt like i'm and i'm so happy for him but like if you look at his body of work on netflix just in terms of the series is of course this had to be the final one before he left netflix like i love that this is his last kind of like and i think he said it before which is the uh, you know if Midnight Mass was like this poetic kind of symphony orchestra and like, or Hill House is like this tragic opera, then this is a Flanagan's rock concert, just sort of like Black Sabbath or Iron Maiden, just like fucking like, that's where it kind of sits. And I, it's, a, it's, I mean, yeah. Like I, I love that. That's the, the last one for him now, as he goes over the walls, he's, he's at Amazon. Mm. Uh, I, lo- I love that analogy. Uh, it works for me, and uh, and yeah, uh, like you say, a great a great way to end his tenure at Netflix. Um, right. So we are playing. Then where did we start with that? Oh, that's right. We're starting. Apollo's death is where we started. Uh, now we're going to play the line through the Dolby Atmos speakers from a Christmas movie that most affected you. Okay, I have to reread this. I have to pull out my phone here. Okay, because um, I don't have it memorized. Uh, okay, so it is. Look, God, let's put this on silent. There we go. It is. Oh, I said it. Uh, I wrote it down. Here it is. Okay, got it, got it, got it, got it. The line that most affects me from a Christmas movie 
is after you get where you're going, take off your shoes and your socks, then walk around on the rock barefoot and make fists with your toes. From Die Hard 1988. Why that line? You know how something so minor can just impregnate your brain and it like it just stayed with me for life. I don't think I think that that's part comes up almost weekly or bi-weekly for me, fortnightly. Um whenever I take a flight. I'm not a great flyer. I do get slightly anxious. And I always I don't I've never checked and I don't think I want to know if there was any truth to what that guy was saying to John McClane about like, hey, you want to get, you know, you want to feel good after a flight, do this. I know it was just for a script way of making sure he was barefoot. That's all that was. But like, I, I still do it now. And so I, after a long flight, I do exactly that. So that, that, that scene for some reason, like I live by the ball, ball your toes up on the carpet lifestyle. So I don't know. That feels like that has had the most effect on me, seeing as someone who like, travels a lot. I, I do that all the time, or at least think about that. I, I love the fact that you've never checked. Uh, I never will check because it's the fact that you've seen no. something in a movie and you've gone, well, that'll probably work. Uh, and whether whether the science is there or not, the <laughs> fact that it works for John McClane is enough of a reason to go, I'm just going to live by that rule. Yeah, because he, he does do it, right? He sits there and he goes, and he's just like, like, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, yeah, um, it, it, and I couldn't think of, I was thinking of all the Christmas movies that I had seen. And I was like, I think about that line from Die Hard every time I fly, that's got to have the most impact on my life. Um, I don't even know if I do feel better afterwards. I think it's, I don't actually think it feels as good as it sounds. Um, you need a, but I still do it. Thick carpet, you know, you it's got to be a bit sort of shag carpet and like that. That'll do it. Yeah. It doesn't work on hardwood floors. <laughs> no. But 80s carpet. Yeah. Uh, on the subject of Die Hard, obviously, there's some great stunt work in Die Hard. Uh, there's a great scene in uh, House mm. of Usher, your episode, uh, where you're uh, swinging Mjolnir, uh, Thor's hammer, round the flat, smashing up the apartment. Uh, and then you go over the edge of the railing, chasing a, a, a mystical cat. Um, was that you going over the railing? I wish. Okay. That had to be talked off that one. Oh, really? Yeah, it was a stunt. It was a stunt man. Yeah, yeah. Um, his name was Mitchell. Um, there's a there's a tiny bit of a story that goes before it, which was I've had a lot of difficulty in Vancouver. Um, sat, so there was a stunt performer called his name Samuel Smith, mm-hmm. and he was my first ever stunt novel, and it was on iZombie, which is a huge deal. You know, 10 years of wanting to be an actor and then your first job, you have a stunt double and someone's dressed as you and they've had to, like, put a fake beard on someone. That's when you feel like, oh, yeah, I've made it. Like, you have a stunt double, dude. Um, so I was, like, super enamored by Sam and, like, became, like, really cool, like, close mates with him and I loved him and, and I was like, you're my first ever fucking stunt double, dude. And, uh, and he did the first few seasons and he was a fantastic double for me. And then he got injured. I think doing the Revenant um, and uh, the DiCaprio one, and we we couldn't work with him anymore on iZombie. And then for the next few years, it was a real struggle to find a fit for me. And we ended up having slightly problematic. We were having white dudes in brown face, so there was all sorts of stuff going on. That I was always a bit like, I don't think you know Tumblr, or Twitter is going to be happy about this. Um, 
But and what started happening was I would start going, yeah, I'm I'm going to do this stuff, and that was what happened pretty much. So they would spend like you know five six hours putting fake beards on, painting hairs on these dudes, white guys, and that. And then I would be like, no, nah, I'm doing it. I'm not letting that that go on screen. This abomination. <laughs> um, and then Krista uh, uh, is our. I'm doing all the, the names without the surnames, but Krista was our stunt coordinator. Full of the House of Russia. She actually was Rose's stunt double on iZombie. Now she's a stunt coordinator running the show. And she was, so we were kind of reunited. And she went out of her way to find um, a performer of my complexion because uh, it should open up jobs, right? I mean, like, I'm there, that's representation. So now that should hopefully, it's, it's not going to change the industry, but it should allow uh, the right doubles and stunt performers to come and step in, you know. So she found Mitchell, and then on the day of the stunt, and Mitchell had been waiting all day. He'd been dressed up uh, for two, three days, just in case there was anything I couldn't do or didn't want to do on the day, so he was always there. But I did it all. There wasn't really anything crazy. He was just smashing the drywall. And then he came to the stunt, and I, my ego got the better of me, and I was like, I'm fucking doing it. <laughs> Um, and everyone was like, no, you're not. Cause it was an, it was an elevated stage. It's like, it was actually stupid, but like, it was like 15, 16 feet off the ground. Um, and they were, you were just going to jump off this balcony, past the scaffolding onto a crash mat. Cause it wasn't built for the stunt. It was built to just be an elevated set in a, in a on a soundstage. Um, and yeah, and I was just like, no, I'm doing it. I did my own fucking stunts. Um, and and then like Mike's like, this is so dumb. Why is he and 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 I think Krista was like, he's been waiting all like this is his first job, the stunt guy. And then my I the better of me, like my common sense kicked in. I was like, hold on, you've been trying to get a stunt performer in and you you're gonna rob him of this one fucking <laughs> thing he wants to do that he's been training for, he's been practicing for, and now you want to do it. Get like get out of his way, let him do it. This is like practice what you preach. So I um I stepped back and he and he relaunched himself off it and he did he looked mm. gorgeous. He did such a great job. The best thing about it is if you watch it in slow motion, as I um run towards the balcony, you know, my tits are jangling and that. And uh and but as I hit the balcony, I die with a six pack. <laughs> as I twist off, you just see the fucking obliques and a six pack as I as I bounce off the balcony. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. Hey, um, we've got to our penultimate question. We're nearly at the end. And this question is what you consider the best use of music in a Christmas movie. I think the best use of music in a Christmas movie is Home Alone, John Williams. Um, and I, I think people always forget that it's John Williams. Like that score is so damn good. Those are original, he's written original pieces there, but they seem like they've been around for Christmas time forever. They seem like church songs almost, but they're not. Like, dun, 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 dun. I'm pretty sure that's an original. Uh, what is it? Carol of the Bells or something? I, I don't know if that, I mean, certainly the main score. The main score is. That one, that's, yeah. that's definitely him but I don't know that uh, is actually John Williams I'll have to check either way it's still gotta be the best Christmas soundtrack for a mo like Christmas movie it's the just tonally um, 
And there, there, there's a moment in there as well where the, even the music makes me sort of swell up and cry. Um, and it's when the old man who shovels salt or whatever, ice, you know, gets rid of the ice on the pavements or whatever, he's watching his granddaughter from afar at a church do choir hymns. Yeah. And whatever they're singing just gets me emotional. There's just this deep, sad song where he talks about having to love his granddaughter from afar because he's fallen out with his... Anyway... The music in that movie for me is just so. Uh, it's 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 like Home Alone. I'm kind of annoyed that it is such a good Christmas movie because Home Alone from start to finish is just a fantastic film, and you don't tend to watch Christmas movies outside of the holiday series season. And I feel like that short changes it because it should be watched more often all year round. But it's so Christmas; it nails it so tonally and takes you to that place that it can only be watched at that time of year. Uh, maybe that's what makes it special, I don't know. So that is the score that's echoing around this auditorium. John Williams' score to Home Alone, which brings us to the final question of the night. On this Rahul Kohli holiday season special, what Christmas movie out of all other Christmas movies have you chosen to screen for us tonight? <laughs> Serbian film <laughs> for the OAP. It was all a ruse. No, it's, it's Home Alone. It, I, the, it's, I'm sad that those two questions were bundled, uh, but like together, because like, yeah, Home Alone. I, I could, it, I think that might be the best Christmas movie ever made for me. Um, I can't think of anything that just captures that time of year just so perfectly well. So do you remember when you first saw it? Was it at the cinema? Was it at home? What your reaction was? Did you immediately love it? Yes, it was. I can't, I, I'm pretty sure. The thing is, I think it would have come out when I was five. So I don't remember seeing Home Alone 1. I may have seen that on TV maybe later or on VHS. Um, I, I can't remember watching it, but I can remember loving it. And I can remember being so in love with it that we, you know, were super excited to see the, you know, the New York one. Mm. Um, Macaulay Culkin was the most relatable, coolest kid in the world. Um, and yeah, and like I, I was a bit of a scaredy cat kid, so I was I was always I was scared of my own shadow. And one of the biggest things I was scared of was always burglars, burglars, was robbers, was burglars. Maybe they shouldn't have shown me fucking Batman '89 <laughs> when I was a kid and the shit. But I was always terrified someone was going to kill my parents. Every time we left the movie theater, especially, or when we were walking home in, in somewhere in London and we we're going into a car park, I honestly had PTSD from just the Tim Burton Batman movie thinking, this is it. I'm going to turn around and someone's going to fucking shoot my family and ask me if I've ever had a dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. But Home Alone was the same. Like, like there was something so innately badass about that. That was my fear was obviously being, you know, someone intruding on our home and the kid who's just like, able to defend himself and it's it's yeah it's the ultimate kid film too right like eats all the ice cream like figures out how to go shopping for the first time it's a super empowering movie for kids i think oh uh, it's a it's a great movie and like you mentioned that score is fantastic and i, I you know i mean i know that you um as an actor like music has played a huge part in um 
in your career when it comes to creating characters. And I think even at the very, very start of drama school, it was music that finally helped you sort of crack like what it was that you enjoyed about acting. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. That's a yeah, good memory. Um, it's, it's uh, part of the process. And um, I think I was saying this to, I was, I did a, uh, a, a podcast with um, Andy Gush, who was one half of the Newton brothers. Mm. Um, yeah and uh, Lana Pierce and uh, Austin Wintry. And I said to them that there's this like beautiful recycling that's going on, this inspiring circle, which is I create playlists for my characters, mostly comprised of smoothie soundtracks. And they help me to either do one of two things. They're either to keep me in character or to keep me in a particular mood or the mood of what the, where the character's at on that day. And then, you know, I'm pulling out these earpieces like seconds before we start filming. Um, I do the work that's been inspired by the music. And then these guys see the scene and then they're scoring it. And it's like, and it's, you know what I mean? And then I might reuse their music for something else later that reminds me of that. And it's just this like really nice kind of relationship. Um, yeah, Midnight Mass was, uh, Blind Manor was, was actually no, didn't have any score. Bly Manor was was all 80s music. It was like cutting through I Just Died in Your Arms Tonight and Cruel Summer, Banana Rama. I was just in that like lover boy 80s moods because that's when the show was yeah. set. And then Midnight Mass was all Sergio, Le I was Ennio Morricone, uh, Dollars Trilogy stuff. It was all just spaghetti western shit. Yeah. Um, and then on the last day in the church, it was all the, the Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal soundtrack. Mm. I used that for the rage and the thing. And then Usher, it's really weird. I, I would normally post my playlist, but Usher is all UK grime, drill, old school garage. I just, which is, I wanted to say, so it's just like, so I've got some So Solid crew in there wow. uh, from back in the day. There's some gigs and there's like some, it's just, yeah, it's all just sort of London music, some new stuff in there. Um, that's what I was listening to all day. Um, so they were, I don't think I had a score on that one. I'm not sure. Rahul, that's it, man. The curtains are closing on Home Alone. The guests, the older guests, and indeed your grandma, they're smiling, chatting, thanking you for taking them on an incredible festive trip to the movies. But before we go, it's time to ask the big question, the big one uh, that we ask at the end of every show, which is, Tell our dear listeners an exclusive, never-before-heard fact about your career, past, present, or indeed future. This is not interesting to anyone but, like, a few people. Go on. And my dad. But, like, full circle stuff. I don't know if this is true, but, like... So, Clint Eastwood is was really, really, really hands-on with these, like collectibles that, that sideshow collectibles are doing he's got this line called the clint eastwood legacy collection mm. and it's these um uh what scale is it called i don't know six scale yeah six scale um uh hyper kind of accurate models of dirty harry outlaw josie wales and he he literally because he's never really had much clint helped with lawyers Go to MGM, go there and go, I want to, you know, let me get the rights for this. Let me get the rights for that. I want to do this Clint Eastwood legacy collection. I think, you know, he's getting to 94, mm -hmm. wants to like leave something behind. 
And um, and I had like ran my mouth for I don't know most of Midnight Mass's press, and they were like, "What was your inspiration?" And I was just like, uh, "Clint Eastwood." <laughs> um, and it somehow got to sideshow that you know I had used a lot of the work, and I had, even though it's not an impression, it's not even close to that. It was just it was more inspir- inspirational. It wasn't me actually playing that guy because you've seen it. it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a feel, but they like called me and were like, "Hey, would you would you come in and check out sign an NDA and check out the prototypes and let us know what you think? Have we captured the spirit of the man with no name?" I was like, "Oh, I'm just like that like dude on the BBC News who went for the caretaker job. I just like, oh, I've been brought out as the Clint Eastwood expert." So, so I I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll have a look." So I go and I fucking sign this NDA, and they line up. The prototypes and this is like a year year and a half ago and uh, i'm talking to the designer and i'm like yep the hip looks like hips right the hip placement looks good and that's definitely how he squints um and and then there was this discussion this is a very long-winded story that doesn't have a good payoff but then there was this discussion about like well clint like needs to like promote it you know it's his line so they asked him, would he be willing to like, you know, join social media, you know, and start like being like, hey, this is my, these are my stuff. If you're a fan of my work, yeah. And I think ultimately he decided, nah, I'm not doing social media. Yeah. Um, so he didn't. And then I think someone said what they did was they said, well, we have a super fan who's an actor, um, and um, and he's gonna like. He's such a big fan. He, we like I, there wasn't a deal. I wasn't being sponsored. I don't. There's no a hashtag ad. I wasn't getting anything out of it. But I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to blast these on the social media. So I think there was some weird translation or email where they were like, "Roll Coley from Midnight Mass today. He's a big fan of yours. This kid's gonna like he, he'll he'll he's gonna post every now and again because he's such a big fan of this series and stuff." And apparently, he gave me the stuff of approval. This is what I heard. He looked at it and he was like, "Sounds good to me." Um, and that's the shittest story no. in a panic. <laughs> that's but in my to for, like when I told my dad, my dad was like, "What? He knows who you are." I was like, "And that's what matters." Yeah. Like it made my dad kind of sit back and be like, "Holy shit!" That's, if that, I, I bet it did. I mean, he must. He'll still have seal of approval. So if nothing else, at the, at, on the on the lowest bar is that he knows who you are. The highest bar is that he, he goes, "I know who he is." And I like this kid. Yeah, that the the highest bar is yeah. If he likes, if he maybe he goes, maybe I'll watch Midnight Mass because he said it's like uh, the man with no name. And then he watches, he's like, oh, no. <laughs> it's nothing like the man with no name. <laughs> uh, this kid can't act. That's not an impression. Well, that is it, Rahul. Your taxi has arrived to ferry you back to your Christmas reality. But before you go, it's time to recap your perfect festive trip to the movies. So you are going with your late grandmother because you'd love to be able to spend a day with her. You're going at noon because that's a good time to take your grand to the cinema. And you were going close to the aisle and near to the stairs because that is a good place for me and indeed your grand to sit. We have certain needs. Then you are going to be having a Christmas leftovers sandwich with absolutely no greens, lots of mayo and meat and Yorkshire puddings and stuffing 
and gammon and turkey, more meat and mayo. We are leaving mm. the foyer and heading down the corridor. The poster we're putting up for your fondest movie memory is seeing Home Alone in the center of London when you were about five or six years old. The mo movie poster that depicts your worst movie memory. Oh, wow. I have not forgotten that. The two towers poster the extended edition but not the one with the collector's edition with the golem statue in there <laughs> the last performance of a christmas movie that brought you to tears edward scissorhands hold me i can't uh what is your unpopular movie christmas movie opinion it is that Rocky Four is in fact a Christmas movie and should be celebrated as such. The petition starts here. The movie trailer that we're playing, this didn't have to be Christmas related. You were excited about seeing Furiosa next year, George Miller's Mad Max Fury Road sequel prequel. The movie moment that makes you pump your fist in the air from a Christmas movie is Batman Returns when Bruce Wayne, aka Michael Keaton, He's just sitting there. He's not doing anything. And boom, the biggest bat signal <laughs> in the world appears. You consider the most shocking moment for a Christmas film. We've established Rocky IV as a Christmas movie. And therefore, it is, of course, Apollo Creed's death in Rocky IV. The moment from a Christmas movie, the line from a Christmas movie that most affected you. After you get where you're going, take off your shoes and socks and then walk around on the rug barefoot and make fists with your toes from Die Hard because it works for you, IRL. The best use of music in a Christmas movie, John Williams' immaculate score from Home Alone. And finally, the Christmas movie you are screening for us is Home Alone. Rahul, considering... We established early on, you do not like Christmas. I'd say that's a hell of a festive Christmas trip. And hearing it back, that was pretty... That, that wasn't, like, uh, controversial, I think. Maybe the Rocky Four might be, but, like, that's pretty festive. I didn't realise I, I had it in me. I, I know. I was prepared for a full bar humbug, but I think we've got Ding yeah. Dong Merrily on high. So I'm very happy with that. You know what? I'm not going to ruin Christmas this year. Maybe I do like it. I'm going to be on my best behavior. Oh, if that happens, do let me know. I'd love this show to have a legacy. <laughs> Thank you for being on. Have you have you enjoyed it? Considering you're not a fan of Christmas, have you enjoyed this journey? Um, yeah. I, I um, <laughs> look. I love. I love uh, <laughs> chatting with you. Evidently, so like I, 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 it's one of my favorite things to do now. It feels like a tradition is to. Um, chat with your movies and stuff like that it always feels like it's over too soon um but yeah no it's been all it's been awesome and i'm kind of glad because i if i had if you'd given me a choice and gone do you want to do the christmas one i said no um i'm all right i don't really know i don't really watch that but it forced me to think it forced me to look back at stuff and remember things that i you know i just forgotten about i hadn't thought about christmas at my grand's in years i hadn't thought about you know the toadfish neighbors top traps and and it was uh, forced, you know, being out of my comfort zone forced me to like, absolutely, you know, open up some up some fond memories. So I appreciate. Um, it's been a pleasure as always. I love chatting to you, and um, I, I can't wait to do the next one already. Um, uh, where, whatever, whatever the next, uh, whatever the next time you're activated is for, uh, whenever Mike Flanagan <laughs> reactivates you, um, I'm sure we'll talk. But uh, in the meantime, thank you very much, mate. Appreciate it. And as Rahul's cab carries him away from our virtual Christmas cinema in our winter wonderland of film, we must all leave his festive movie paradise and return 
for our own festive realities. But before I say my final farewell for this episode, don't forget you can find the full video for today's Rahul Kohli interview and indeed for every guest over on our Trip to the Movies YouTube channel. So please head over there and as I said at the start, help us grow the podcast by hitting subscribe. And that really is it. I'll be back on the 2nd of January when it is back to regular service and another guest fills our cinema with their celluloid dreams as they take us on a trip to the movies. In the meantime, have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I'll see you in 2024. Bye-bye.